Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. God gives us what we are able to do within a given time. But if you were here Wednesday night, you heard a word that if it did not challenge you, you need to check your pulse because it would, it, it's a great word. It's on the podcast, by the way. We don't typically advertise for the podcast, but if you want to catch any Wednesday night service that I've preached or one of the staff have preached or uh, even if I preach on a Sunday, it's available. It'll come up the day, usually the day after. So that'll be on the podcast. I, ch- I encourage you to do that, uh, to check that out. But Pastor Derek brought a great word on serving Wednesday night. Serving actually has legs. He didn't say this, but, or excuse me, love actually has legs. Legs is in at love in action. So it's important to make sure that, that if we say we love but we don't serve, then do we truly love at all? Is it lip service, or is there something connected to that? So really great message, but uh, with these small groups launching, getting ready to take off here in the month of August, uh, I'm excited about it. It's freedom groups and life groups. There'll be something available for everyone, almost, I would say. Uh, the youth have already been rocking and rolling. Heard some great things from them. They're uh, some of the, uh, the one of the life groups. One of the it's it's actually a basketball life group. So people just gather, play basketball here, get a good word, some great communication or some some great connection, communication, opening up, sharing things, and that's where it happens. Life happens in circles, and life happens in relationships. You have to be connected. If God plants you somewhere, be connected there. Right, sell out one hundred percent. Well, this morning you probably got the message notes. Uh, but I'm preaching on a subject called Choose Freedom. Typically wait, and I'll read this out a little bit later, but there's no, there's no nothing I'm trying to uh, get to you outside of. I just want to see God set you free. We all are moving, are desiring to become more like Jesus, which means that we're, we're truly desiring to walk in freedom. Although Jesus was, one of, he was fully God, he was also fully man, and he had limitations within himself, Jesus walked in total freedom. Jesus was one that he is our elder brother, as it's mentioned. As I said last week, we believe in the power of the tithe, uh, not just in far as far as like with our with what we give, but we look and we see what God did. He gave us the the ultimate tithe to the church in Jesus, that the the firstborn among many would, or he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And so when we look at Jesus, he is the he is Christianity, right? He is revival. He's what we want to become like. He's who we desire to represent to everywhere that we go. Now, I don't know how you represent him in your job or to your family. That's a different story. Hopefully, we we see uh, people see Jesus in you and through you, around you, all those great things. But I want to talk about choosing freedom today because I believe freedom's a choice. We look at our nation and we we honor and celebrate the freedom of this nation. Uh, those that are serving actively right now in the military and those who have served. And it's to go, and whether it's, I know America has been a free nation for the most part, 
many will go off because they love this nation so much and they want to see other nations set free so they'll give their life they will lay down their lives so that someone could experience the freedom of God well I, I honor those that have done that and, and even all of us in our lives we all have a calling upon our life you've been given a ministry called reconciliation is what the book of 1 Corinthians says and every one of us plays a part in this you have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. If you become a new creation, you play a part in helping someone else become a new creation. And I, I love, it's been years and years and years ago, I heard a teaching one time that talked about that the, the, the earth is a womb. And God the Father is rubbing and patting the womb, waiting for his soon-to-be sons and daughters come into the kingdom of God so that he could introduce himself to, him, to them so that they could step into the fullness of their calling. And we, so to speak, as brothers and sisters or midwives, I hate to use that language, but honestly, we are helping them step into deliverance, to salvation and to freedom. So we, we're not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. We're saved and empowered by the Spirit of God and anointed by Him to see others come to know Jesus. And they have to see Him through you. And I, I, I say choose freedom because it's a choice you have to make. You can choose to stay offended, wounded, hurt, and broken, or you can choose to walk out of it. I would say that this message is going to hit the majority of us. If you're not saved, I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end. But for the majority in the room, probably everybody's saved. I don't want to assume that. I'm just saying I feel that's the crowd that I'm speaking to. And I would say this is that as I preach this, I'm looking at two different aspects of people uh, in, in regards. There's probably more than that, but one is those that are are living a life wounded and hurt you're hemorrhaging you're hemorrhaging uh, emotionally mentally maybe not physically hopefully not we we'll hopefully help you with that uh, there's medical personnel in the room but but you're you're hemorrhaging hemorrhaging I can't say that emotionally and mentally and you need freedom and it needs to stop and maybe it's a choice that you've made well I'm good where I am but you're really not you prayed here's how you know that emotionally and mentally you're not doing well you're praying for everybody around you to change whenever you're the common denominator that needs change that's how you know so it's important to start with you God heal me heal me God heal my heart heal my mind heal these wounds let them become scars so that I can help somebody else so it starts with you then there's the other set of people that that function in a place of false humility. Oh, I'm good. I'm all, I'm all right. What happens, if you've ever been on an airplane, if something happens, God forbid, at high altitudes, the first thing that happens and drops is a mask, and they say, put it on yourself first. Make sure that you're good to go so that you can help somebody else. You have been denying yourself of healing. You've been denying yourself of finding freedom because you want to help everybody around you. And it, you think it's some sense of false humility and honorable. It's not honorable at all. It's actually quite selfish. And God is saying to you this morning, you need to choose freedom and you need to walk out of this place that you're in free and not stay the same way that you are. Many of us were raised in churches where you come to an altar, have an encounter. And in that encounter... Uh, man, you felt the presence of God and you, man, something's changed, but you went back out. And because you didn't do anything with the encounter you received, you still stayed in the same place. Every encounter you have with God should produce a pursuit of the things of God, the spiritual things of God. A, a trip to the altar may not change everything, all right? A lot of times it's walked out in the daily lifestyles of disciplines of choosing Jesus. Every day I get up, I choose Him. I didn't chose Him. I know that doesn't sound right. I didn't... 
I didn't choose him 15, 20 years ago and then never choose him again. I get up every morning and choose, just like I choose my spouse, every morning I get up. I choose to love her. I choose to be faithful to her. I choose to have eyes only for her, right? So it's a choice that I get up every day. I choose freedom. I may not be great at it because some days are worse than others, but I choose freedom today, God. I choose the fear of the Lord today. Choosing the fear of the Lord is a choice. Choosing freedom is a choice. Choosing joy is a choice. You have to make a choice because the battle's right here. Am I preaching to anybody today? I'm listening. I'm going to speak from my heart, and wherever I get to is wherever I get to. But get ready because God's calling this church to step into a new place. I'm, I don't want normal. We're called to be a supernatural church, extraordinary. I don't want to come get 30-minute messages, three songs, and give my offering and go home and nothing ever change. I want revival where the Spirit of Jesus so apprehends my life, my mind, my will, my emotions. And the disciplines that I do is not because I have to, it's because I get to, because I love Him. Right? I don't want to read Scripture apart from the relationship of the presence of God. It's more than just a book of laws. It's the way I live my life. It's my governance. It's the way that I live. There's a phrase that was used in the military. Thank you, Dimitri. And I'm so glad that you're here. I love you so much. I mean, what about the worship team? I, I, I just, you guys are incredible. We've adjusted our times. I'm so thankful. We've adjusted our times to roll back to seven to come in and practice so that we could focus more on the presence of God. They might have been saying some bad things about me, but we adjusted, rolled our time because we want to be prepared for what God's calling us to. When God raises a bar, you got to rise, right? Can't stay where you are. you got to rise to the next place. There's a phrase in, in the military that they use, and uh, I heard it many years ago in a documentary. I love war documentaries, and it was talking about walking wounded. They said, walking wounded, go to the rear of the line. And the walking wounded are those that they've triaged, and they're not as in bad, bad of shape as some of these other ones that might be critical. And if, you work, if you've worked in an ER, you understand that at times, I guess, I suppose, when people come in, they're, they're, they're triaging them as according to how bad is the situation, what type of needs are they going to need. They, they administer the care and help to them accordingly. But it, the, the, the phrase first came out of, uh, of the military in World War I, and uh, the walking wounded were the injured persons that, that had a relatively low priority. These patients are they're typically conscious, they're breathing, but often only have relatively minor uh, issues or injuries. It's not anything bad. Or it could be the people, let's talk about it from an emotional, spiritual sense this morning. Because this is where we live, all right? Everybody in here, the battle happens right here. And what happens is we don't, we don't really understand how to process when we get wounded. When something is said, when something's done to us, we don't know how to process that. And a lot of times what happens is unforgiveness, bitterness, and offense take up root, and it governs the rest of our life. It leads us. We don't lead it. And we hold, we hold grudges. We hold things against people that we shouldn't do that. The best thing to do is to hold a conversation over holding a grudge or holding an offense. Go have a conversation. And there's a healthy way to, to confront things and people and situations, not screaming at somebody. It's actually... I can sit down with you and have a conversation and when the when it begins to elevate there needs to be a stepping away because someone's wounded if there's a lashing out wounds are present you can see it right there's your hemorrhage you're hemorrhaging out your mouth so 
people that have been damaged or defeated psychologically or emotionally by their experiences or situations or circumstances they faced in life. And if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of John. This is my foundation. All right, this is my foundation, then I'm going to take you to a story, another one. We're going to read some Bible this morning. Get it in this week. So in John chapter 5, we see this with the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda, or it's been translated the house of mercy, house of grace. Heard it even translated the house of hunting. It's just, but it's a house of something. And so they're at this pool, and if you've read anything on the story, you see, how many of you have ever, ever seen um, The Chosen? Anybody ever seen that? This story with Jesus gave me a completely different perspective as I read the Gospels. As I read the Gospels and I see this, he's not this man floating on air, walking. He was, he was to, to, the, to the eye, the Bible says he would have no form of comeliness that anyone should desire him. There wasn't anything about him that was appealing except for he had the words of eternal life, as Peter said. Um, and so he goes on an assignment to this pool called Bethesda. And all of these people, look, let's read the scripture. It says in verse 2, Now in Jerusalem by the sheep gate there is a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porches or porticos. In these porticos lay a multitude. Say a multitude. That's a lot. Okay, there's a lot of people laying around this pool of those who were what? Sick? Blind, limping, or paralyzed. Look at all the people. How many instances did Jesus stay, stay there from sun, sundown to sunup, literally evening to morning, healing the sick, and anyone that had issues, he healed them all. But here's something a little bit different. And there was a man who had been there ill for how many years? 38 years. Who in the room has been hemorrhaging emotionally for 38 years? Who in the room has been struggling for a long period of time. Maybe it's not 38. Maybe it's just two to three, five, ten years. It says this man had been there, had been ill for 38 years. Jesus, upon seeing this man lying there and knowing, seeing and knowing that he had already been in that condition for a long time, said to him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? So my question to you is, in the state that you're currently in, have you accepted it as fate? Or is it just a state? Are you there? You are where you are because of the decisions you've made. Good, bad, indifferent. Well, I didn't choose this. This happened to me. Maybe so. But it's your choice to remain. Amen? Okay. Making sure that you're with me. My question to you as I read on, do you want to get well? It's your choice. The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water's stirred, but I am. But while I'm coming, and another one steps in in front of me. What does that sound like? It's an excuse. I would love it, but this hasn't happened for me yet. That's not what Jesus asked. Sir, do you want to get well? Do you want to be better? Do you want to stay where you are, or do you want to get healed? And then... Jesus responds to the man, get up and take up your pallet and walk. Immediately he was healed. But my question in laying that foundation, because you have to choose freedom, is do you really want to get well? Do you really want to get better, or do you want to stay where you are? So there's the foundation, if I could, to lay this out. That's the question to you. It's a choice. Come on, say, I have to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Now, I want to, as you get ready to turn, now turn your Bibles now to John chapter 20. Night in verse 19, and I'll take it from there, and I'll lead us into something more. But while you're going there, 
I want to read a simple verse about a man that we call Doubting Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. And I'll give you some points, some things, and help you to walk out. And hopefully here at the end, if you need prayer for anything specific, we can work on that too. But in the book of John chapter 11, we, we refer to, to Thomas as Doubting Thomas. We say, well, he just doubted. I mean, it's just, well, let's look at Peter. Peter denied him three times, but do we call him denying Peter or doubting Peter? No, we don't call him that, right? We don't call him that, but for whatever reason, Thomas has a small part to play in reading the Gospels as we read and we see where Thomas was one that was not in the community with the group of people. Therefore, he missed it when Jesus walked through the wall and surprised everybody. I'm getting ahead of myself. But here is the Thomas And I probably should wait to the end to give you the punchline, but let me give it to you right here. In John chapter 11 and verse 16, if you have your Bibles, I would turn to that, circle it, and underline it, whatever, and you can make personal notes because you need to see this for yourself. Thomas is known, according to John chapter 20, as doubting Thomas. But in verse 16 of chapter 11, look what it says. Then Thomas, also known as the twin, said to the rest of his disciples, Let us also go with him that we may die. Now, let me give you a little small backstory because according to this scripture, Lazarus is about to die and Jesus says, we'll go, but we're going to wait. Basically, many of you have heard the story, but in case you haven't, Thomas, Thomas, uh, one of the other disciples says, now, Lord, you know if we return back, they're going to kill you. And Thomas responds, let us also go that we would die with him. But now, does that sound like a man that is doubting? By no means. Something has happened between John chapter 11 and John chapter 20, but what has happened? So that's what we want to dive into. Something in your life has happened between this setting of where you said, I'll give my life, I'll sell out 100% to you, Jesus, I'll do whatever you call me to do, or even in your marriage, I'll do whatever it takes. But something happened in the process of years and experiences and situations that's brought you to a point where you doubt the power of God. You don't have the faith that you once walked in. You don't show up early. You don't stay late. I'm not just talking about church, but it could be that. And, but, but you've completely withdrawn yourself into a place of isolation. And let me tell you what Proverbs says. A man or a woman who isolates themselves seeks their own desires. They rage against all wise counsel. In other words, when you isolate yourself, you're setting yourself up for self-implosion. You want to know why many, uh, many instances and cases where people take their own life is because they've isolated themselves and their mind becomes the workshop of the enemy. I'm not saying every case because I've been in those moments. I've talked with people that's been there. It's not every case, but sometimes. You isolate yourself, you cut yourself off from the fold, and you set yourself up for destruction, right? So that's why you need one another. Got to keep moving. This is, I just feel like I'm, preach, I'm preaching to myself this morning. A lot, a lot of stuff that I hear the Lord speaking to me right now is for myself. Um, but in John chapter 20, verse 19, says here, and this is Jesus coming to his disciples, and this is after his burial and uh, his resurrection. Mary's already showed up and said, hey, he's alive. Guys, he's alive. Verse 19, now when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were shut where the disciples, disciples were, t- um, were together due to the fear of the Jews, because they were longing to kill all that were associated with Jesus. It says that Jesus came and stood in their midst, did not use a door, 
did not knock, did not care what they thought. He just walked in the room through the wall. And then he says, peace be with you. Now put yourself, immerse yourself in the text. The door is shut. Literally, they could come kill you. They're looking for you anyway. You've locked yourself into a room. And again, no one's knocked, but all of a sudden Jesus appears. Standing, and he didn't come as an apparatus. He literally, or or um, I said an apparatus. My goodness, a leg or nothing. Well, he didn't do that either. But he, he didn't show up as a ghost. He didn't show up as a, I'm trying to think of the word for the ghost, but you got what I'm saying. He didn't show up as that. He literally walked through the wall. Because one thing good about Jesus is he will walk in. Uh, I I love the song. We've sang it here before. He walked through all my walls and conquered my shame. Stepped into my past and filled my world with grace. He didn't have to come, but he wanted to. And that's what he does in this moment in the midst of fear and worry and concern, stress and anxiety. Don't you think that they were struggling with some anxiety and he made it go to a brand new level when he walked through the wall? But all of a sudden, he releases the peace and begins to speak to him. All right, let's take the story. I'm sorry. I love to develop these really good so you grasp it. you got to see the Gospels come alive to you. And it says that, um, and when he, had, when he had said to them, peace be still, or peace, peace to you, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord because they saw the nail-pierced hands in his side. And, it, and uh, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So here is the commissioning he gives them in that moment. And listen to this part. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Interesting from the book of Acts to this book, right? A little bit different setting. I'll just leave that alone. You can chew on that one. If you forgive the sins of any, that doesn't mean if you or the disciples forgive them, they're forgiven, they go to heaven. He's saying you have to learn, you have to forgive the sins. You have to forgive other people that sin against you and you against them. And he says, their sins are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. But Thomas, one of the 12 who was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He was outside of the community. He was not with the group of believers in the moment, even though they were locked behind a closed door and they were all sharing the same fears. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord, Thomas. But Thomas replied to them and says, unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails and put my finger. It's interesting how, how uh, just in depth that Thomas is being. He's, very, he's being very precise. Uh, and he says, unless I put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside. Thomas was with them. Jesus came. The doors having been shut, they're making sure that this is seen. The doors are shut. <laughs> That Jesus come and stands in the the midst of them and says, peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, place your finger here. Jesus wasn't with them whenever Thomas came in and says, unless I see. But Jesus knew, right? Because he always knows where you are. He always knows what you're needing. He always knows exactly when you need it. Because it's interesting, Thomas has heard this conversation about being that Jesus shows up. So he says, I got to get back with my group. I got to get back with my crew. And in that moment. He said, Jesus tells him, place your finger here, see my hands, take, take your hand and put it in my side, and do not continue in disbelief, but be a believer. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, because you've seen me, have you now believed? What about those of us that haven't seen, but yet we still believe? What's in it for us, right? 
Do you really want to get free? Do you want to get well? Do you want to choose freedom today? It's my question. Here's something that's very important. How you think is the most important aspect of your thought life. How do you think? How do you process circumstances whenever they don't go your way? Because let's just face it, the Bible says it rains on the, on the just and the unjust. Stuff is always going to hit the fan and go, and go bad at times. Things are going to begin to break down. Vehicles are going to break down. You're going to have certain uh, payments that are going to come out of the blue, and it's drained your emergency fund. Uh, I, I mean, I could, the list could go on and on and on, right? So one time, maybe I, if I hadn't hit you where you live, just hang with me. Maybe I get it, but you're not excused from that. But how you think is the most, uh, most important aspect of your, of, of your life, how you th- the Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Um, but I, and, and, and so the way you think about yourself is important. I love what uh, John, the beloved, says. He says that as he is right now, so are we in this world. So how is Jesus right now? He's walking in victory. He's never lost a battle. Now, does it say, well, you're trying to say, we're, no, we're not perfect. I'm not saying that. But we are in pursuit of him. Therefore, how do we think about ourselves? How, do you, how is it that your mind, when something happens, is it always your fault or is it always somebody else's fault? Or are you one that, that walks in humility? Are you one that says, God, whatever it is, your will is? I, I mean, that, that, that affects the way that you think. Because your internal world governs the external world. Your internal world, what's happening in your heart, it governs and dictates the, the path that you'll take in life, which directions that you'll go. Where you end up, if you'll end up in another relationship that's damaged because your mind is damaged, because your mind is broken and wounded. Therefore, that's why when it gets healed, when, you're, when you begin to renew your mind through the word of God, because that's the only way it can happen is be transformed by the renewing of the mind through the word of God. There where you can see the will of God, then you can find jobs. You, you, God leads you into a career path that wasn't, that, that, that's, that's the direction for your life. Because your mind is being renewed. Because your internal world is so important. You can't neglect the spiritual things and expect to end up in great blessing. You with me? But why do emotional wounds happen? So let's just hit this for just a few moments. When I talk about emotional wounds, I use this specifically because it can happen in many different facets and formats. But these are some that I feel it's important for you to help you walk in freedom. Because if you make a choice to get free, then how do you get there? The first thing that, that why does these things happen to us? And it's simply, simply because there's words being spoken. Um, <clears throat> reading over the book of Proverbs often and often, there's, there's, there's always, there's one specific scripture that talks about that out of the mouth comes life and death. You have to speak life or you speak death. You're constantly speaking and framing the world that you see with your eyes by what you say. And what you say is connected by what you think. Right? Stay with me. I know it's 4th of July weekend. We had a late night last night, hopefully partying for Jesus. We don't know. But it's all good because we, we believe Jesus is going to set you free. Um, but what, do you, what are you speaking? Do you speak life? Do you speak death? What's been spoken over you? Because words bring about curses. Words bring about blessings. Who are those that should have been a father or a mother or a voice of authority over your life that has been speaking over your life or in the years past that have spoke blessings or have they spoke curses? Have they told you that you weren't going to amount to anything? Did they tell you that 
Well, it'll, it, it, you're, you'll just be lucky if you don't uh, wind up in a ditch dead or in prison somewhere by the certain time of whatever age. If those things have been spoken over you, then it needs to take a time to say, God, I declare in the name of Jesus that every word curse spoken against me, a word curse without a cause shall not alight. I break it in Jesus' name. Now think about even one of the scriptures we use all the time. No weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. And every tongue that rises against me in judgment, condemnation, or whatever, in the name of Jesus, I declare it's broken over my life. My family, my finances, my house, my marriage, my children, our destiny, our calling, and our future. So words are important, but here's the next thing that I've noticed that can, that can lead to emotional damage and brokenness and woundedness that we spend years and never notice is unmet expectations because we set the bar at times so high and, and we expect people to know what we need, but we don't communicate what we need because, well, I'm an introvert. No, you got to learn to open up and talk to somebody. I'm going to push you on it. I don't care. It's important. Why? Why do I need? Because I need to be connected in relationship with the body of Christ enough to where someone can say, hey, I can see. I can." As Jesus looked and he could tell whenever he saw the man at the pool of Bethesda, it said seeing and knowing. He knew he'd been there a long time. Where is the body that has eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to respond? But have you yourself showed yourself friendly to connect to the body to know? So that you can be, be known, be loved, and be needed. That's important. That is so important because that's how you walk out of this place. Am I all right? You falling asleep on me? Jolt the person beside you and tell them, wake up. We had coffee in the foyer. It was right there. I saw it. Even if you didn't, don't lie. Um, but maybe it's because we had an expectation for something that didn't pan out the way we wanted it to. That produce hardness of heart, brokenness, etc. Marriages, friendships, jobs, careers. I launched this business, didn't plan the way that it was going to go. But you know what, God, I still got my eye on you. I'm not taking my eye off of you. And so it's important that these, I got to be real with myself. These unmet expectations, God, that I've never voiced or shared with anybody, I'm going to release them to you because I had an expectation that was unhealthy. Not only was it unmet, it was unhealthy. And I can't think it that way anymore. We call him Doubting Thomas, but it could it have been in reality that he was actually broken because he had an expectation to see Jesus come and overthrow the Roman government in his day, in his age, that were oppressing his own people. And he was done with it. He was sick of it. No doubt there was times he wanted to draw his sword and begin to start uh, icing one to the left and then one to the right, dealing with him, getting him out of the way. But Jesus chose to come a different way. Well, we're going to take him. That's why one time, Jesus was an escape artist. Did you know that? He knew how to be in the midst of a crowd, stir a stink, and all of a sudden they would go to take hands, throw him off the brow of a hill, or even take him and make him king, and it says he would just slip through the crowd unnoticed. Like, how did he do that? I don't, you know, I, I wished I could do that. As he is in this world, so are we. <laughs> but he was good at it. He knew, but he didn't come in the form that Thomas thought. So therefore, Thomas had some unmet expectations. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to come and be enthroned. But it wasn't for that day and it wasn't for that age. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. And those that serve me, they'll take up a sword and fight. But now is not the time. Right? That's what he said. So these unmet expectations. Thomas was expecting Something that was unmet. Therefore, could it have been? Because we don't see in Scripture, but it produced brokenness. 
And it produced a wound in his whole, in his heart, and his soul. Because his perception, remember, the way that you think is very important. Perception becomes reality. Everything he's doing. I'm watching the miracles. I'm watching the signs. I'm looking at these people that's getting healed left, right, left, right, left, right. Isn't it interesting? Jesus only goes for the one at the pool. Just one. He didn't go for anybody else. He went for the one. And so in... In all of this, Thomas is seeing these things take place. He's seeing the bread multiply. He's seeing the dead live again. He's seeing all of these miraculous happenings. And he's, in his mind, he's forming. He's forming an outcome that I think Jesus knew he had. Just me. That's my interpretation. I think he knew he had it. I, do you not think that Jesus knew Thomas was going to be at the point that he was? I believe it because the Bible says he knew, he knew the hearts of all. Man, that's what John says. The next thing that happens, and I believe that could have happened in his life, but maybe yours, is unrealistic expectations. This can happen at times in marriages where sometimes we expect things that are completely unrealistic. All the wives are like, yeah, absolutely. Trying to help you out, wise. Just you know, nudge him. Hey, this is your moment. Not right now. Don't break out in a fight. We got Pastor Derek. He can counsel you and help you right out. Men and women, come on in. I wonder how many of us actually struggle with unbelief simply because God didn't answer the way we thought. I don't believe you, God. Why? Because you didn't answer the way I thought. Remember the story that I told you about the pagan guy that that honestly he was he. he he said he didn't worship. They honored the old gods. It all started, and I was waiting for the punchline to the conversation. It all started because he had a son that got killed. That he expected God to meet the need of, and it didn't happen. Emotional wounds left unattended for a long time in the natural will cause pain, agitation, and eventually make you toxic and septic. You become toxic. You become septic. And it's because there's unrealistic things that we've set and we can't, and nobody, nobody can meet them. And that's why it's important to understand, God, the way I view you, the way you view God is your most important thing you think. How do you view him? Well, how, how do you, when something bad happens, how do you view God? How do you look at him? Is it immediate anger, upset, and mad at God? Or how do, you, how do you process that? Because expectations that go unfulfilled, they're going to produce a lot of disappointment. I'm going to say it again. It's on the side screens. Expectations unfulfilled produce disappointments, lots of those. Disappointments are just temporary letdowns and setbacks. But what happens is because we don't process them correctly, disappointment will eventually give way to discouragement. And when discouragement sets in, that's bad medicine for a downward spiral. Where you find yourself in a great place of depression. You're no longer able to be encouraged, but you constantly stay discouraged. You don't hear the word of the Lord that's being declared to you at times because you're more turned inward. I'm not saying what, what you experience is bad, but you don't turn and look and say, okay, God, what's happening right here? Because this is not healthy. I don't have a, I don't have a healthy desire for the word. I don't have a healthy desire for the body to gather with the saints. I don't have a healthy desire for these things. So what do I need to do? Something needs to change. 
Because there's been a string of disappointments, one after another, after, after another, after another, until the point is, is you think you're a disappointment. And that's the voice and the lie of the enemy. Because the last I checked, when I look at King David, whenever he comes back from being in battle all day long, when they're wore out and exhausted, they come back across the river and they look and they see that the village has been pillaged, where all of his great and mighty men, the Gaborim, they're all gathered. Those guys that, man, they were a bad, ragtag group of men. You read the scripture. He come, they come back and they turn to him because they're mad. Their wives are gone. Their children are gone. They don't know where they're at. And they look to David and say, we understand you're supposed to be the king, but do you not remember who we are? And David, the Bible says that David <laughs> encouraged himself in the Lord. I ain't got nobody else to encourage me. And so he encouraged himself. Why, how did that happen? Let me just tell you how I think it happened. I think David looked back and he, been to, he, he began to remember, reassemble the victories that the Lord had showed up in every season of his life. When he fought the lion, when he fought the bear, when he fought off the wolves coming after the sheep. The oil dripping from his head. Not the fact that he was trying to declare, I'm king, but that, hey God, you chose me. And I'm, I'm supposed to be in this place for such a time as this. You, you led me before Goliath and you took him down in that moment. I think David began to remember, assemble the memories of what God had done for him in every season when everybody was against him. Anybody here this morning? morning hello check and some of us do you have any of those victories do you have any because if you're discouraged you need to remember what God's done for you so that when we thank God well thanksgiving and praise is different I thank God for what he's done for me but I praise him for who he is that's the difference between thanksgiving and praise so that's why it's important to vocalize, I praise you for being my provider. Yeah, you know what? Your job didn't provide for you. God provided for you. He gave you the strength to get up. So you've got something to be encouraged about. And if we see people that are in that place, we've got to look and see it and have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to respond and encourage in the moment. Discouragement, loss of confidence, enthusiasm. Discouragement is when multiple disappointments have led to despair and hopelessness. When the disciples says, we've seen the Lord, but then Thomas says, i got to see his hands. I've got to see his hands. But not only see his hands and his side, I need to put my hand in it. I'm discouraged. I'm broken because he did not do what I thought he was going to do. And I believe that God will still show up in spite of, of our I don't know if I should say this. Maybe I will because it's been me. I'll say it for myself. In spite of my three-year-old attitude, let me just tell you, for those of you that have three-year-old, when they pitch a fit, there ain't no way I could be God the Father. I'm not saying I am. Just, there's no way. I want to get the belt out, but that's not, that's not how he does. He'll let you cry it out. Thank God they make bows, noise, canceling earbuds that you can just seal everything out and not have to listen. But he'll let you pitch that fit. Go ahead, cry. Until you finally hit a moment and say, okay, wait a second. Now let's gather my thoughts. Let's move forward because God's ready to move you forward. And Thomas showed up in spite of his doubt and, and unbelief because he knew he was broken and he knew he needed restoration. You preached it Wednesday night, Pastor Derek, and with Peter. Three times, feed my sheep. Three times. He showed up in spite of what people thought of him. 
Don't sit in the place of discouragement too long. You'll eventually give freedom to bitterness, which consumes your mind. It'll consume your emotions. And eventually, it'll consume your physical body. Because how you think is the way you respond. Emotionally, mentally, how you think is physically how you'll become. I'm serious. Could it be that some of the things you're experiencing right now is because bitterness, unforgiveness, and wounds that you've not allowed God to heal? Show it to him this morning. So where does it shift? Here's the deal. I've been talking about it. Get into the community of God. That's number one right there. Get yourself into the community, the people of God. Gather with the saints and get connected. This is not a ploy to get you to become a member of church. I believe in this house or else I wouldn't be here. I believe I've seen God restore. I've seen him heal. I've seen him bring reconciliation to families and put families back together. So I believe in it. But you've got to get into the community of the believers that God's planted you. The presence of God doesn't rest on the building. It rests on the people of God. Just like the presence was supposed to rest on the shoulders of the priest, not on an ox cart, right? So the presence rests on us, on the body. We're called to minister to one another. Uh, it says that uh, a week later in John 20, verse 26, it says, A week later his disciples in the house again, and Thomas was with them, so he was finally with the community. And regardless, regardless of, of, of what Thomas thought in the moment, he's running with them because he understands this is the place I draw my encouragement. I love what James 5, 16 in the message says this. It says, uh, make this your, look at this. What does that say? Make this your common. It, it ought to be happening. Confess your sins to each other. Now, with those that you trust, it's important, but you better have some that you can trust. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you could live together whole and healed. I love that, whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. I love that so much. So here's the second thing. First thing is get in the community. Second thing is give him complete access. Not just portions of who you are. Give him complete access. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood in amongst them and said, Peace be with you. So in other words, even though the doors was locked, he shows up. And all of a sudden, of course, they're freaking out. But all of a sudden, they give him. He, he, you know he's got access into their lives. He's corrected them. He's rebuked them. He's walked with them. He's encouraged them. He's disciplined them. And he's loved them. So he has complete access in every realm of their life. Let me just say this for you because you need to hear it. No wall that you build can keep him out of your world. No wall. They, there's no broken situation. If you're broken and you're constant, you, you think about those that haven't found a place of, of wholeness yet. For those, uh, you think, man, I just don't think there's any hope. The Lord will set up ambush after ambush after ambush after ambush after ambush, and he will go after them and pursue them till they don't breathe anymore. That's him. He doesn't do it twice, three times, and give up and go. He's constantly setting up ambushes for people to come to cross paths with another brother or sister and find healing, find wholeness, find deliverance. He doesn't want them staying in a place of brokenness. And here's the last thing, Demetri, if you would. The last thing is that not only... Not only do I give him the complete access, I, I have to encounter. I have to experience the presence of God. It has to be encountered. The encounter or the experience with the presence of God you've had. Many of us grew up in a Pentecostal church. Many of you have. And I'll say this. You can become jaded to the presence of God. You can become familiar with this God that you barely know. Come on, I'm talking to you. Well, this is just another. No, it's not. This is not just another encounter with the presence of God. This is different. I haven't been this way before. Why? Because God is new. 
Every moment I encounter him, it's new and fresh. And every encounter I have with him is a breadcrumb or a seed that's supposed to lead to greater transformation. Every encounter I have with God should produce a pursuit, which in turn produces an encounter, which then produces a pursuit, then produces an encounter. Pursuit produces the encounter, and it's a cycle that goes over and over. But we neglect it. Why? Because we're familiar. I got an encounter. I love it what he says. Thomas gets to experience. He sees him, but that is not enough for Thomas. Remember? Unless I touch. When's the last time you touched the presence of God? Everybody in the room. When's the last time you touched the presence of God? I don't know about this, Pastor AJ. Y'all get, no, 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 no. When's the last time that you made a move for him? He's here. Put your finger here, Thomas. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believing. Counter. David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. The only way for God to heal the wounds in your life is for you to encounter. You've got to touch. As Thomas touched, his eyes were opened, I believe. And I, I feel like, I believe it was like a breath of fresh air. It was just exhilarating. And he, it's just like a fresh breath of air. Life came back into him. In a moment's time, the wound was healed. And he said, my Lord and my God. Can you imagine the sight of seeing the nail-scarred hands of Jesus and putting your hand in it? One day we will, but not yet. My assignment is not to get to heaven. My assignment is to bring that reality to this world. My destination's heaven, but it's not my assignment. His hands, Jesus' hands are no longer wounded. They're scarred. The wound became a scar so that it can be touched and encountered, so that you can be healed. I love the story with Thomas. Won't you stand all over the house? I love the story of Thomas. He was supposed to have labored in India and left many Christian converts. This is before he died. Here in India, there were idle priests that tortured him with hot plates, then cast him into an oven which had no effect on him. Then they pierced him with spears while in the furnace until he died. St. Jerome says that his body, unconsumed, <laughs> was buried after he died. There's your doubting Thomas. I say that with a little sarcasm. There's your doubting Thomas. One that took the gospel to India, saw many converts, gave his life out of the encounter he had of touching the nail-scarred hands. Because once you've tasted him, what else in this world could be worse of, of, the, of life to take life from you? But there was a joy that was released, exhilaration, I believe, that breathed a fresh breath of air into his world that empowered him. After the encounters in the book of Acts, man, I'm telling you, are you wounded? Come on, bow your heads this morning. Bow your heads this morning. Are you wounded? Mentally, emotionally, are you struggling? Are you at a place where you need freedom? I hope I've given you some, some areas, some things to help you walk this out. Are you wounded? Anybody raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor AJ. I need, I need some help. But you talked about you hit some things, and I, I need to find some freedom today. Anybody? 
Raise your hand. You can see it. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for those walking and carrying emotional baggage, wounds, issues, and problems from yesteryear, from a decade ago. I pray in the name of Jesus that this is initiated transformation because you want them to be whole and free. Come on, say it out of your own mouth. God, I choose freedom. Come on, those of you that, listen, don't think you got it all. None of us in this room, I don't even, nobody has it all together. Not a person. I don't care how holy you are. Nobody has it all together. So I, I want you to take a few moments and put your hands out in front of you and just like you're receiving a gift from somebody and just tell, tell them and say, I, I choose freedom, God. I give you complete access and I receive and I choose freedom. I choose freedom. I choose the freedom of God. I choose the freedom of the Spirit of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I receive the freedom of the Holy Spirit right now. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. I receive. I receive it right now. Mentally, emotionally, relationally. And I declare the freedom over bodies right now, physically healing in their bodies. As of last week, the lady that got healed with epilepsy. We just declare that people can walk into wholeness in their physical bodies right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord this morning and thank Him for His goodness today. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.